welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Today in Psalm 25, we see David praying a prayer. If you want to stand as we honor God's Word, as absolute truth, it's good for today, just like it was good for 20 years ago. And if Jesus doesn't come back, 20 years from now, we'll still be reading and preaching from the same book, because it'll be relevant for 20 years from now. David is praying to God, and he says, Unto thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Some versions will say disgraced. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed or disgraced. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, according to thy mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. You pray with me. Father, I pray that this passage today, this prayer, will be our prayer. God, I genuinely, sincerely pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts today. God, if there's ever been a day, if there's ever been a time where we need you, it's today. I pray that no Christian, no believer in this room, any watching, any hearing this message later, will ever be so confident in themselves or in anybody else that they neglect to see their need for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This psalm, Psalm 25, is one of several what are considered acrostic psalms in the book of Psalms. Acrostic meaning there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and this psalm, like several others, follows the acrostic meaning that every line, not necessarily verse in English, but every line starts with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Alpha. Y'all know the rest? No, we don't. All the way through the 22nd one. So what's significant about that? I'll tell you what's significant about that. God did that on purpose. Man didn't write it and say, this will be cute. God wrote it and said, this will be 
easier for you to memorize. Of course, David is writing this psalm under the inspiration of God. It's in our Bibles for us to remember, for us to mimic. It was something that would have been given to the Hebrew children. Hey, here's a psalm of our forefather David, and uh, God made it easy to memorize. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, except in Hebrew. It's what we know in the maybe theological world as a psalm of penitence, a penitential psalm. That kind of got some people's attention. Sounds like the penitentiary, but it's not. It's a penitential psalm. It's a psalm of penance, as in repentance. It's a psalm where David is acknowledging, ultimately he acknowledges his sin. David, we know, went through a few trials in life. David, we know, according to Scripture, don't miss this, please. This is not just introductory to get through this. David was what Scripture refers to as a man after God's own heart. Someone who wanted to know God and experience God and sold out himself to God. But yet, some of you, some of you people are thinking, yeah, but he was not perfect. Because we remember the times David sinned or the times David did something he shouldn't have done. But pious Christian, don't miss the fact that David was not sinless, but he was a man after God's own heart. He had a desire to serve God wholeheartedly. But yet he did mess up. And that's a lesson for all of us. We can be a man or a woman after God's own heart, but still be affected and influenced by sin. But David was still used greatly by God. And you and I can still be used greatly by God. And here in Psalm 25, we, we don't have time to go back and look at the history and, and all David's been through. And, you know, he was selected as king and people were jealous and people tried to kill eventually. And um, all through his life, he was um, affected by enemies. Not only was David, don't miss this, not only was David affected outwardly by enemies of him and enemies of God, David, like you and I, he was affected inwardly. A, a, a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart that fails God does not just say, well, too bad, I'll just keep moving on. They suffer inwardly. They struggle inwardly. The Holy Spirit convicts them inwardly. They have to confess. They have to repent. They have to get it right before God before he can use them again effectively. That's something that David struggled with inwardly. That's something that you and I struggle with inwardly when we are a person after God's own heart. And oftentimes, David would pray a prayer similar to this, and I hope I don't I hope, I hope I'm on target here to say that oftentimes you and I need to be pray, praying a prayer similar to Psalm 25, a prayer of dependence, a prayer of dependence. I've lived long enough to know I think I can do everything by myself. Anybody else? Have that problem? Well, the, 
The Proverbs say if you want something done right. Some of you are thinking, is that really in Proverbs? I thought that. No, not this proverb. You got to do it yourself. Can't expect anybody else to do it right. Y'all have figured out that right, right is how you want it done. That's what right means. Okay, I'm just making sure we're on the same page. No, but most of us struggle with doing it ourselves. And I've got a lot of notes here, but I, I want to be so practical and I want to help out all of us so much genuinely. I don't want to be so scholastic that we miss the point. Most of us, and I trust most of us here today, have gotten to the place where we realize we can't do life by ourselves. Maybe more specifically, we can't live this Christian life effectively and successfully alone. Because we're at church and I'm a pastor, let me tell you this, you can't do it without a church family. It's not in the notes, not in Psalm 25, but you can't. Oh, you, you know, I can. You don't know me. I can do. You can do it, but not as, not as easily as you can do it with a church family or a brother or sister in Christ that can support you and help you and call you and encourage you and help, help carry your burdens with you, for you. And if you're trying, with God's help, to live a successful life pleasing to God, you've already gotten to the place where you realize you cannot do it without him. Dad, you can't be the godly, biblical father God's called you to do and be without him. Mom, same for you. Husband, same for you. Wife, same for you. Kids, children, same for you. We miss that sometimes. God has an expectation for children too to obey their parents, for this is right, to succumb to their authority. Parents be waking up right now. Y'all hear that up there, kids? For this is right. And a Christian teenager can't be the type of Christian teenager God expects them to be without him. And so in this psalm, David cries out to God, I've got to be transparent and honest when I'm praying by myself, usually, quietly. I'm going to tell you how it usually starts off. I didn't make it up. I didn't read it out of Psalm 25 and say, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to be very transparent and honest with you. My prayers usually start off like this. God, I need you. I'm serious. I'm not trying to sound pastoral and spiritual. It's, it sounds really silly and childish when I do it. I, I kind of think it sounds that way. And it's not just because I'm in trouble. It's just because I realize if I'm going to be worth anything for his glory and his honor, I need him. David in this first part of the psalm in verse one, notice what he says, Lord, I lift up my soul unto you. He's saying that I appeal to you. The soul here is not like the soul that goes to, you know, someone's soul that goes to heaven or uh, it's his soul, it's his personhood, it's who he is. 
It's the seat of the person. It's almost like the word heart in the New Testament. He says, oh Lord, I come to you, I appeal to you, and I'm lifting up myself to you, my soul to you. I belong to you, here I am, Lord. And that ought to be the prayer of every believer. Is it the prayer of your heart? Is it the desire of your heart? God, I'm lifting up everything I am to you. I'm appealing to you. I read that and studied that, and I thought, I I love this passage of Scripture. It's in in John 6. You don't have to turn there. They only have to put it on screen, but you probably know it, where the disciples are kind of being... um, persecuted or pressured. Jesus is still there in John chapter six. And and Jesus says something like, "Um, will you also go away? Are you going to leave too? Y'all remember that? And Peter, who was never at a lack for words, said, to whom shall we go? Where, Where can we go? You're the only one that has the words of life. And let me challenge you when you understand what I mean by when you don't have anywhere else to go, turn to him. I didn't say turn to him after you've tried everything else. There is nowhere else to go. There's no one else to turn to to get the help that we need that we can get from him. Where else is there to go? In Psalm 86, David says, rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. What he's saying there in Psalm 86 is, Rejoice the soul of thy servant. When the servant of God actually turns to God, appeals to him, and lifts up his soul to him, there's rejoicing. It's similar to a couple weeks ago when we said um, God's word says we can pray about everything, therefore we don't have to worry about anything. It's the idea of yes, we're burdened, and yes, there's a need, and yes, we're dependent on him, and when we actually demonstrate our dependence on him, there's rejoicing. Our soul can rejoice. Even the soul that once was not rejoicing, once turned to him and dependent on him, can now rejoice. Unto thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Listen to verse two. O my God, I trust in thee. What's he saying? I need you. I depend on you. To trust is to place reliance upon a person or an object. Listen to this, don't miss it. That Hebrew word trust there, which means to rely upon. It comes from a word that means to throw one down upon his face, to lie extended on the ground. Please don't miss this. Because of who we are and where we're from and our culture, we have become Please, I'm not, I'm saying we. Is everybody all right with me being included in this? We've become some of the most arrogant, self-centered, self-reliant, independent people on the planet. And, and you, you say, well, I might, that's, that's me. I, I, I don't need anybody else, and, and we, we can't fix that today. But what's, what the problem is, is it's crept into the church it's crept into our spiritual life where we think we, we don't need any help. I know that sound, and I know, I know, I feel it. Who does he think he's talking to? I know I need the Lord. 
Well, you, you evaluate your spiritual life, and I evaluate my spiritual life, and see how many times I've gotten into quite a fix spiritually because I tried to do it myself. Because I didn't wait on God, or I said, this is, I, I just gave away the punchline. I didn't wait on God, or I just said, you know what, it doesn't matter if God wants it, I'm going to do it. It's not ready yet, but next Sunday, I think I'm going to preach on this subject. What happened to the altar? Don't be disappointed if I don't, because it's not ready yet. But when I read this verse and I hear this word trust, it reminds me of the altar. Not the Old Testament sacrificial altar, but the New Testament church altar where people, even if it's symbolic, please don't miss that, I'm giving away some hints for next week. Even if it's symbolic, it is a picture of our trust, our submission, our laying out ourselves to God in true dependence on him. It means, the, ver the word there means to throw oneself down upon his face. It, I mean, I, I hate to be so um, obvious, but when a person listens to the police, which when they don't, it makes for good videos, but when they listen to the police, what do they say? Get on the ground, face down, hands behind your back. Something like that. Why? Have any of you ever been in a fight and you assumed the position of face down on the ground? That sounds like a no. Why go face down? Because you're in complete control of someone else. You have, you have given up your ability to do anything. Everybody good with that? And that's what God is saying. That's what David is saying. I'm going to come to you in total trust, submission, and dependence, and I'm going to lay myself down because I know I cannot do anything without you helping me. Yes. Amen. Many of us, I'm preaching to myself, so don't be offended, probably be a lot better off, made a lot better decisions in this life, don't think it's over. You still got a chance to make some more decisions. If we would have waited on God, been submissive to him, and trusted in him. He acknowledged in the previous chapter 24, and, and I, want, I want you to understand this, that not everybody depends on God. In Psalm 24, he, he's praying about some other folks who are praying to idols. They're submitting themselves uh, to other idols. In verse, 20, in verse four, he says, that have lifted up their soul to vanity. Don't fall into that category of a Christian who is lifting up their soul to vanity. Lifting up your soul to um, pointlessness. There's a lot that we can depend on in this country. There's a lot in this world that we can rely on. We can rely on money. Money. 
We can rely on position, our roles of authority. If you want to, you can rely on the government. And some have chosen to do that. Seem to be getting by pretty well. No. I would not advise to the latter. But some depend on idols. He says they're, they lift up their soul to vanity. It's pointless. There's only one person that we should depend on and lift up our soul to, and that is God. Oh, my God, I trust in thee. Proverbs 3, 5, you probably one of your first verses you learned as a child in Sunday school. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what David is saying. I'm relying on you. I'm lifting up my soul. We like that first part, but that second part's tough, right? And lean not on our own understanding. Oh, let's just have a quick time of prayer and confession. Oh, y'all think I'm serious. Let's do it in that. We could. And we should trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Let's look at this prayer. You're already getting bored, I can tell. First of all, this prayer of David is a prayer of his dependence on God in defeat. I'm going to not spend a lot of time here, but in verses 2 and 3, uh, this, this passage, these two verses or what's called a millennial expression. It, it speaks of eschatology, end times. It, it's, it's kind of where it speaks as if I already know the end. I don't know if you know this or not, but you can know the end. You can know how this thing winds up or winds down or finishes. And it's gonna finish with God being in control, right? And us spending eternity with him. And he says, oh God, I trust in thee. Let, not, let me not be ashamed or disgraced. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And then verse three, yet let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress, transgress without cause. It's a millennial phrase of knowing that in the end, I will not be disgraced, but the enemies of God will be disgraced. Put to shame. A few more things I need to say about this, but it's almost a direct parallel or mirroring Isaiah 49, 23. Listen to Isaiah 49. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, shall be millennial, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet, and thou shalt not, thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. It's... I really struggle with how to, how to say this and make it understandable. David is in essence saying, when he asks God in verse two, let me not be ashamed. He's not saying, um, God, help me not to be ashamed of you. It's not what he's saying. The word disgraced or ashamed is really what's used there. In times, it's almost like David is saying, and I think you can understand this, 
but please listen to the end of the story. It's like David is saying, God, don't let me go through all of this for nothing. Not go through troubles and strife. It's as if God is saying, David is saying to God, because David's pouring out his heart, God, I'm trusting in you. Don't let this be in vain. You hear the question? You hear almost the question of faith? It's almost like the guy who tells Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's, It's David saying, God, I trust in you. Don't let this be in vain. But he's really not saying it that way. I don't wanna, he's saying, I trust in you. And because I'm trusting in you, I know I'm not gonna be put to shame. But do you hear the, in in the background, I'm trusting, I'm trusting in you. Church, life's tough. Life is hard. This passage actually starts to use words in a second, if I ever get there, that life is a journey filled with a lot of paths and ways. It's difficult. But the reality here is David says in his trust, he's also acknowledging he has enemies. And don't miss this as we move into the second part of this text where life is a journey and there are ways and paths to take. We have enemies. You have enemies. David had enemies. David had an ultimate enemy in in Satan. The devil didn't want David to prevail. He didn't want him to be a godly king. He didn't want him to be a man after God's own heart. And and man, listening to me today, you have a desire to be a man after God's own heart. You've got an enemy that does not want you to be a man after God's own heart. And that'll be manifest in a lot of different ways, a lot of different challenges. And you'll have enemies. You'll have antichrist enemies. You'll have those that are not believers that don't want to see you succeed spiritually. And some might think, well, there'll probably be some spiritual people don't want you to see. And I'd like to say to that, they're not very spiritual. But you'll have enemies. We all have enemies. Your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So be sober, be vigilant, because you've got an enemy. David had enemies. We have enemies. Therefore, don't get me wrong, that's not, this not a bad prayer to learn. Did y'all hear what he said? I trust in you. Don't let me be disgraced. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Don't, don't feel bad praying that prayer. David prayed it. You ever heard of God fighting your battles for you? I might not be. If, God, if I would have allowed God to fight some of my battles instead of me fighting them myself, I might be a better person. God, today I need you. I lift up my soul. I lift up my everything I am to you. God, please don't let my enemies prevail against me. That sounds like a pretty good way to start your day. 
And David prays that way. A prayer of dependence and defeat. The reality is this, and this is why I use the terminology. Sometimes this life feels like we're being defeated. Sometimes it feels like the world is being in around us. David felt that way. The reality is because we win, because the enemies will be disgraced, because we will not be disgraced, we are not to be defeated. We do win. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Yeah, life's tough. Depend on him, even when it feels like we're being defeated. Number two, our dependence on God for direction. We're to pray for God's direction. Immediately, when I say that, we think of uh, you know what job to take, what school to go to, who to marry, and those are definitely valid points. But he specifically goes into areas that are worthwhile, and this is really the message. So I'm sorry if you've been bored up to now, but I really want you to pay attention to this. Realizing that this journey of life is filled with difficulties, some of them caused by our own sin. We should be constantly asking for God's direction. Listen to what David says in his prayer. And listen to the progression in terminology he uses in verse four. Show me thy ways. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. Show me, teach me, lead me. David is asking for God to direct his life. David is depending on God to direct his life. Now here's the exercise. In your own heart and mind and silently, put your name where David's name is. Dean is praying for God's direction in his life. Now, I'm going to cut the tension, maybe. If a pastor says, church, I just want you to know I'm praying for God's direction in my life. Everybody goes, is he leaving? And some got excited. Is that what he's saying? Because at high level, we often think some big direction. If, if, if husband tells wife, uh, wife, I'm praying for direction. And God's like, oh, are you quitting your job? Uh, what are you doing? And it could be something like that. But more specifically, or generally, I should say, it's praying about God's direction in every aspect of our life. Remember, should I pray about the big things or the little things? Is God concerned with the little things in my life? And then the response to that is, are there any big things to God? No, we're to pray about everything. We're to ask God's direction on everything. You may believe this, you may not, I don't care. I'm a little quirky at times. I'll take the amens, as, as the laughs as amens. I know, if you only knew, my wife's like, if you only knew, he's... Hmm. 
I probably shouldn't say that. I'm going to, in full disclosure, say I don't pray about everything enough. But occasionally, I kind of pray like, should I go this way or this way? Ever, anybody ever done it? You know there's two ways to get to where you're going. It's like, really quick, it's like, gosh, should I go left or right? If you don't do that, that's fine. I'll be the only one that's ever done that. That's fine. And you're like, you're crazy. It's probably just your mind saying something. And I'm like, okay, I went right. And then I'll just think, well, maybe God's leading me this direction to see something I've never seen before or to keep me from a wreck or keep me from waiting behind somebody that doesn't know how to use their signals or can't stop or go at a stoplight and keep me from losing my mind. I should have asked him for direction about where to go eat last night because that was not fun. You ever been somewhere and it's so bad, you're like, is somebody playing the trick on me to see if I'll lose my salvation or to show this to somebody else? That happened last night. I can't tell you where because, anyway, I can't tell you where. He says, show me thy ways, O Lord. The word there, show, means to make them visible. These are so, so obvious. The truths are so obvious. I don't want us to miss them. Maybe we don't know God's ways sometimes because we just haven't simply asked him to make them visible. Show me your ways. The word their ways is like a, a road, but it's more of just a road. It's a, a road that's part of a journey. Show me your ways. It's the same uh, word show. Actually, King James obviously spells it S-H-E-W. But it's the same word that Moses used when he prayed when the children of Israel were getting on his nerves, when they rebelled. And he went to God and prayed, and he says, Therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way. Now think, think about that. It wasn't just show me the pathway, the right highway to get on to get to the promised land. It was on behalf of the people that were getting on his nerves and rebelling against God. He's like, show me the way, God. Show me the way to deal with these people. What a good prayer. Some of you don't get around people much or you would appreciate that better. Show me how, God. And Moses did deal with the people and God made visible his way. The reality is in today's age and culture and innovation, there's a lot of ways. We just have to ask God which way. Make your way, don't miss that, make thy way visible. It's a lot of ways, but we want to know God's way. And he says, show me, make it visible. And then he progresses and he says, teach me thy paths. The, the word paths there is very similar to way. It's like a road. It's like an actual path. But the word teach is to exercise in or to learn. So he says, show me your ways. Now teach me your path. Show me the path. Teach me the path. It's a little different than showing somebody and teaching somebody, but God is asking him, make it visible, now show me how to do it. I, I, I might be preaching to me and three other people, but I hope some of you appreciate this. Some of us, and I'm going to steal the thunder here at the end, are a little impatient. And it's God, show me the way. There it is, boom, gone. He showed it. But we don't need him to just show us, now we need him to teach us how to use that way. It's the, it's, the, it's the word 
to exercise in. It's, okay, show me how to do this, God. Your kid's trying to learn to ride the bicycle. How did you show them? Today, with kids and technology, come here, little girl, I'll show you how to ride this bike. And you just get your iPad out and you pull up a YouTube video and say, watch this, they'll show you how to ride it. <laughs> you might have tried that, I don't know. The reality is that is, in essence, showing them how. But it's not teaching them how. Because your kid might not have known exactly but you may get on, you may pedal, if you can, and show them how to do it. I, I, I had fun with this when I was studying and thought about how my, my dad used to teach me. And um, some of you have seen these quotes saying, like, you can't hurt my feelings, I used to help my dad work on a car, you know, or something like that. And if you've never worked on a car with your dad under a tree in the backyard, then that's probably what's wrong with America. I don't know. <laughs> but you can't say anything to me. You can't belittle me or demean me any more than I've already been belittled and demeaned as a child. Yes, those words, the big ones. And you learned I would suggest not teaching your children the same way. They might turn out like me, and you don't want that. But no, we watched them. And I even watched him work on cars after I would dried up to tears and went and told my mom that he just hurt my feelings. Some of you teaching your children how to do math at home, when their teacher should have taught them how. What am I doing? Show them, teach me. He said in Psalm 119, blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. You have, listen, this, you have shown me your statutes. Now teach me how to follow them. Teach me how to walk in your statutes. How are we taught to walk in the statutes? We, we read and we see examples of people, and there's no greater example than Jesus living, and we're taught by it. He says, show me your ways. Teach me thy path. And then he progresses to lead me in thy truth. And teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee I wait all the day. Lead me in thy truth. Lead means to conduct. David is asking God, show me the way. Teach me how to do it. And then lead me. Lead me. Tell me the timing. Tell me the words. And I will follow. We have a good shepherd. Why would we ask God to lead us if we're not going to follow him? Lead me in thy truth. There's a lot of truth today, just like there's a lot of ways today. 
We talked about relativism for probably the last two decades. And it's not going away. If you think it's true, it's true. If you think it's true, it's true. It, 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 it has crept into basic math in our school system. And it's, I don't, I'll stop there, but it's just, a, it's not good. No, two plus two is not five, but eh, since you, you worked hard to get to there, maybe it's five to you. Now, I, I don't think that's blatantly happening, at least in schools that I'm aware of. But we're doing that with some other things, with some realities of morality and biblical truth. It's true to you, it's all right. No, he says, lead me in, once again, don't just show me a path. Don't just show me a way. Show me thy truth. Thy truth. We're to follow his truth. He is leading us. We are to follow. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When we ask God to lead us, we ask him to lead us so that we can follow. All week I've been, the soundtrack in the back of my head for you Elvis fans have, has been Lead me, guide me, like seven of us. So maybe that'll be in your head. Lead me, guide me along the way. For if you lead me, O Lord, I cannot stray. Lord, let me walk each day with thee. Lead me, O Lord, won't you lead me? Listen to what he says. I am weak, the songwriter, I'm weak, and I need your strength and power to help me over my weakest hour. Let me through darkness thy face to see. Lead me, O Lord, won't you lead me? David says to God, will you show me? Will you teach me? And now will you lead me? When we pray, as David prayed, we demonstrate our dependence on God even when we're defeated. We demonstrate our dependence on God when we need his direction. And the last thing David does, and he prays this prayer of penitence for God's deliverance. And I'll end with this. He says in verse 6, O Lord, your tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been of old. Remember, Lord, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. Why? Because I've been a good boy, because I've done a lot better. No, because of your loving kindness, because of your goodness, for your tender mercies. And then later, he cries out to God and he says, I have sinned, pardon my iniquity, for it is great in verse 11. A lot of times we get in the position where we feel like we need delivered. We need to be rescued, but there's no greater deliverance needed than deliverance from sin. God delivers based on his character and based on our confession. I have so many notes, but let me just say this. David understood that he was a sinner. David understood he needed forgiven. Don't miss this. 
David was assured that he would receive forgiveness, not because of who he was, but because of who God was. Remember God. There's, for the theologians in the room, there's a double remember here that's important. He's asking God to remember something twice, and right in the middle, he asks him not to remember something. And he says, remember your mercies, O God. And then at the end, he says, remember me. But right in the middle, he says, but remember not my sins. And the reason David calls on God in faithfulness and assurance that he'll have his sins forgiven is because of who God is. And don't miss, God is faithful, God is just, God is merciful, God is a God of goodness and loving kindness. Some of you know I, I read behind J. Vernon McGee a lot, and he's got a special way of saying things. And he says, what's the difference in love and loving kindness? Or no, what's the difference in kindness and loving kindness? And he says uh, something to the effect of, well, kindness is when uh, your mom puts the bread in the toaster and makes you toast. That's kindness. But loving kindness is when she goes the extra mile and puts the jelly on it for you. I don't know if that does anything for you or not, but God is a God of loving kindness. It's tied together. His goodness is who he is. There are qualities involved in God's goodness. And maybe you're here today and it sounds very preachy. Maybe you think you've done too much. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far. Please hear this. Maybe you're lost and you've never been saved and you think you're too, too much of a sinner for God to save you. That may be what you think, but that's not reality because Scripture tells us that he is a God of mercy, grace, and loving kindness and that his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And what every sinner deserves is death and condemnation and separation from God forever. But by his mercy, we can be saved and receive grace and eternity with him. And maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're a David. Maybe you're a man or woman after God's own heart. But yet, you struggle. And the reality is, we all struggle. We all struggle with enemies, within and without. And maybe you think, well, I've messed up so much, God will never use me again. That's a lie from the devil. Amen. You say, no, some church person told me. Well, let me tell you this, it's a lie from the devil. God's grace is sufficient. And where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And you can be a man like David, used of God, a man after his own heart, based on his character and your confession. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are we dependent on him for what we need? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this prayer that we have. 
A prayer of David, a man who wanted to please you. A man who was used greatly by you. And I pray for every believer who's here listening, watching, that we would be dependent on you. That we would depend on you for direction in our life. That we would depend on you for deliverance and forgiveness from our sin. God, I have no doubt that there are some people in this room who've heard this message, heard these verses, and they feel defeated for whatever reason. God, we know David felt defeated many times. But God, his prayer was a prayer of dependence. And may we, who feel defeated, call out to you, acknowledging our total trust and dependence in you. While we're in a time of prayer and before we sing, I just want to ask you, are you are you defeated? Do you feel defeated? Is that you? you? Say, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian, but the enemy's been fighting me. Maybe the enemy within, maybe your mind, maybe your heart, maybe you're struggling and feeling defeated. There is an answer to that defeat, and that's calling on God and depending on him. It happens. If it happened in the life of King David, who are we to think it wouldn't happen in our life? Are you calling on him? Or are you depending on him? Maybe you need direction. Maybe it is. School, college, husband, wife, job. Parents, maybe it is a decision or direction that's needed. Are you praying a prayer of depending on him? Are you asking him? If not, ask him, show me, teach me, lead me. And once again, if you're here today, you have unconfessed sin. You're a believer. We have God's word that's clear that we can confess and receive his forgiveness. So if you're here today and you're lost, you've never been delivered by salvation, delivered from your sin, today would be the day the Holy Spirit of God's convicting you. I've never done that. Maybe today's the day you call on him and depend on him for deliverance. No one else can save you. Nothing else can save you. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No man comes to the Father except him. Would you stand with me? We're gonna sing, but I want us to be in a time of prayer, personally. These altars are open if you wanna come. Acknowledge your dependence on him as we sing. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.